sorry to say I keep pushing back continuing um, the Sermon on the Mount, but this week I've really pushed it back because on Tuesday we had our first nine to nine prayer and fasting. Uh, And that was a really good day, Uh, a good day of just listening to God. The focus was, what's God saying? What's God wanting to speak to us? What do we need to know uh, in moving forward? And we had this up, you know, this was blank at the beginning of the day. And throughout the day, people came and just filled in what they felt God was saying. Scriptures that they felt God gave them, words, pictures, ideas, Uh, And so that's all on there. If you're at the back, you probably can't see that. But I'm going to go through that this morning because I I don't want us to lose what God has said. It's really important that when God speaks, we do something about that. And one of the most important things that the church needs is a prophetic edge. If, If you read through the Old Testament in the Bible, you will find that the prophets were called the seers. And they were called the seers because they could see what was going to come because God would reveal it to them. And and don't we need it in in this day that we live in? Now, one of the interesting things, I was chatting with Liz um, earlier. She was in a a new wine meeting and, and people were chatting about there. And the things that we've been talking about, new wineskins, and we're in a time of transition and change, those are also the things that they were talking about. So you you kind of get the idea that God across his church is bringing a very similar word to those who are listening. The challenge is that we need to listen. I mean, the the scripture this morning that we were looking at, oh, don't want to lose my phone, that we were looking at, one of the things it says consistently in Psalm 37 is about waiting on God. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him and don't fret. I often get people say to me, well, how is it that you can hear God speak and and I can't hear speak or uh, only it seems some people can hear God and others can't. And actually, it's really simple. It's about spending time. You know, I was here all day on Tuesday, nine to nine. I had nothing from God until about six hours in. Why am I saying that? Not because uh, I'm anything special, but it's about giving time. It's about giving time. How many times have you had a coffee with someone or you've been around somebody's house, you've had a conversation, and it takes sometimes an hour or two before the real conversation begins? The debt doesn't come immediately. How many of you know who've got married that the depth, well, I'm, I'm hoping this, the depth of the relationship comes with each passing year as you know one another better. And, and you get to a point where I just know what Jocelyn's thinking. Even spookier, she knows what I'm thinking. And you know, we can be like that with God if we put the same time in. The problem is most people do not want to give God the time. I'm I'm appalled in the Christian kind of publishing industry that they're bringing out all of these things, the three minute Bible, the three minute prayer. You know what, we're not gonna achieve nothing. Can you imagine if they brought out an education curriculum, the three minute maths lesson? You'd go, that's crazy. You can't learn maths in three minutes. You can't do English in 10 minutes. 
You need a curriculum that goes over time. And so if we want to know God, I'm, I'm, I'm really challenging you this morning. It's not that God doesn't want to know you, but it's whether you're going to give him time. And that is going to be the hardest thing in your life. Setting aside time to pray and to be still with God is the hardest thing in my world. Absolutely the hardest thing in my world. I can read my Bible dead easy. I can read books dead easy. I can do study dead easy. But to sit down in silence and pray is really difficult. And, and we live in a world as well where distractions are there everywhere. I don't need to talk about smartphones and social media and phones pinging here and beeping there and, and everything else. And it's an interruption. You know, if I don't put my phone on aeroplane mode while I'm, I'm having a prayer time, even though I'm not going to look at it, if it vibrates or pings, immediately my mind goes, oh, what was that? What's that? Is it important? Do I need to look at it? And there's this kind of... <laughs> and to be silent, to get rid of the distractions. I, you know, I love the early hours of the morning. Um, I have a privilege that I'm getting older, and so for some reason God seems to think that means I need less sleep. And so I have days where I'm up maybe at midnight, I go to bed early, so when I say I'm up at midnight, I'm up at midnight and I might be up for three hours, or I'll be up at two or three in the morning, I'll be up till five. But those times are times where God really speaks to me, where there is a stillness that is not available in the day. There are no interruptions. Nobody's texting me at 2 a.m. Well, maybe my Indian family, but apart from that. And so I want to encourage you, hearing God is not difficult. It just requires us to set aside time on a regular basis, and it works. It's very similar to how you get to know someone. So some of you, if I call you up by telephone, you'll immediately say, hi, Simon. Yeah, because you've recognised my voice. But for others of you, if I call up, you kind of think, who's this? And it's because we don't know each other as well as we know other people that call up and we know their, their, their voices. And, and I will encourage you and say to you that is possible with God. That as you keep spending that time with God, you can be in the workplace, you can be on the bus, you can be in a shop, and God will speak and you will recognise it because you've developed the habit of listening. Really important. So we have these things come. I just want to go through some of these this morning. I'm going to start with the scriptures that we received. Now, I'm not going to unpack them, but... Let me take it for granted that scripture needs unpacking. Why does it need unpacking? Because we miss sometimes what it's actually saying. So we had 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, this is a typical scripture that needs unpacking. And it needs unpacking because what we, generally speaking, do is we just say we need to pray and God will do something. And that's not what it's saying. 
It's saying that if we belong to God, my people, who are called by my name, that means that if we're called by God's name, we belong to him and we live according to how he wants us to live. So there's two conditions already. We must belong to God. We must live according to his principles. And if those people will do a number of things, one, if they will humble themselves, two, if they will pray, and three, if they will seek his face. Three things have got to be done. I oh, know, actually four. Uh, turn from their wicked ways. Four things he's asking them to do. Then God will do something. It's not just about me saying, I'm going to now pray and God's going to heal the land and he's going to sort all that. No, God says, first you follow me. Then you humble yourself. You pray, you seek me. You turn away from the way you want to walk and walk in my ways. Then I'm going to listen. I like that. Then he says, I will hear from heaven. And that's amazing. I mean, I don't know where heaven is, but it means that if I do those things and I call out to God, God says, I'm listening. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Those things are conditional upon the other things that need to be done. Now, that's just an example, but uh, I really want you to understand that as you read scripture, you need to slow down a bit and you need to unpack it. We then had Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I just want to stop there for a moment. Whatever is going to come upon our nation we will fear no evil because he's walking with us. Jesus is walking with us. And then he says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And immediately my brain wants to ask the question, how on earth does a rod and a staff comfort me? But I will leave you to answer that question. Philippians 2, 1 to 18, this goes over a whole number of slides. Um, I'm going to see if I can read it off my computer here. No, I can't. That's really tiny. Um, it's really tiny there. Let me make it easier. Philippians 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Does anybody learn the books of the Bible these days? Or do we all say, hey, I can just search on my phone? Philippians 2, 1 to 18. Now, I'm reading from a slightly different version than I've got up there. This isn't ESV, that's the NIV, so pardon the difference. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow, what an amazing statement. Let each of you look not only to, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think I've already moved on there, sorry. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Sorry, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, is, so Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Actually, I'm going to try and read it from here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, uh, on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Just want to challenge us. It's to do with how we live with other people. It's to do with our behavior. And it's also a recognition, you know, Jesus Christ was God. Think about this for a moment that, you know, put yourself in a position, here you are, you're God, you create a humanity that rebels against you and stuffs everything up, does everything wrong, and then you don't destroy them, but you come down as a man yourself to allow them to torture and kill you so that their sin might be removed. Now, that's the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus has that he expects us to have for other people. I find that an immense challenge. There's a lot that I see in the world that makes me very angry. And yet we are called to walk in love. We are called to be sacrificial in what we do. And we need God's grace in doing that. Uh, 1 Chronicles 14 verse 11 so David and his men went up to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as water breaks out, uh, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So the place was called Baal Perazim. Baal Perazim is all about God breaking through, and we need God to break through. I don't know whether you've noticed, but the church in the West, if it doesn't see a breakthrough in God, may not be here in 10 years. We need God to break through and restore the church to how she was um, in Acts and the early church. We've then got Joel 2, verse 28 to 32. Joel 2 is a prophecy that we see 
um, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And that was kind of one of the things that came that we'll speak about in a moment. Joel 2, 28 to 32. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Is that you, Ben? Young man seen a vision. Uh, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great, before the coming and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now, I'm going to come back to this scripture because I want to just say a bit more about that. Um, But I just want you to hold that there for a moment. That is a prophetic word given to Israel that was filled in Acts, but is very pertinent for us today. And then we've got Matthew 28, uh, 11 to, sorry, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I mean, that's got to be a good invitation, hasn't it? Anybody here feel weary and burdened? I'm not going to put my hand up because I tell you what, I feel tired. Yeah. And here is the promise from Jesus. If you come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, that is such a mind-blowing scripture. Jesus says that if you come to me, I'm going to take all the burdens off you. And if you watch me and learn from me, and if you take a yoke that I give you, that's going to be the easiest yoke, the easiest way of living that you've ever had. And yet it doesn't feel like that, does it? Let's talk a little bit about the words and thoughts that came um, with this. I've just kind of listed them all up there. I'll pick a few out as we go. We are alive in Christ. You know, that might sound a really simple statement. But if you think of the opposite for a moment, we're not dead in Christ. And yet sometimes when I talk to Christians, that's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. There's no life, there's no energy, there's no joy, there's no peace. We are alive in Jesus Christ. Be still and know that I am God. Going back to spending time with God, be still. It's amazing how hard that can be. Imitate Christ. Somebody had a picture of searchlights as in when a ship goes out searching for survivors. There was trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, that, that's also a challenge because I can trust God with a bit of my heart, even the majority of my heart, but with all of my heart, it's a bit of a challenge. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I love this one. The Lord keeps his word always. But you know, as I was pondering on that one, I thought, but that is also a warning. Because God's promise of forgiveness is there always, but God's promise of judgment at the end of the days is also going to happen. He will always fulfill that. Um, I love this, lighthouses stop disasters. 
If the church is a lighthouse, we should be stopping disasters in our community. Scatter the church among the people. I I love that. It is time for us to be salt and light where we live, not in this building. We don't need to be salt and light here, if I'm really honest. I mean, because we're all believers. We love one another. It's great. It's marvellous. We need to be salt and light where we live, where we work, where we shop, where we go to school. God moves in waves. What does that mean? Well, it was Rick Warren who said that all he has done as a church leader is seen what God is doing and jumped on the wave like a surfer. Don't worry about tomorrow. One step at a time. He was an interesting one. Somebody had this picture of a seasoned wok. Anybody use a wok? A wok? A wok is one of these pans. My wife uses one. It's used for making stir fries, noodles and all that. But a seasoned wok is seasoned by heating oil in it until the oil smokes. Now there's a number of things. Because Act 2 says, oh, let me move on. Act 2 says that the room was filled with a rushing wind when the Holy Spirit came. And so we're looking that what we need is a breakthrough from God. We need God to break through in our experience. I'm just gonna change this slide. We need God to break through in our experience. And I want to really just share in this last uh, time what I think we need in terms of breakthrough. I really believe that the important thing for us is the thing that was important for Jesus. Now, when I think about breakthrough, when I think about wanting to change something or when I have a problem, I don't know about you, but I quite often want to go back to the beginning. Have you ever lost your way and kind of said, I'm going to go back to the start? Now, let me tell you, That is a really powerful principle of life. When Jocelyn and I have problems in our marriage, yeah, we also have problems in our marriage, we go back to the beginning. God called us to be husband and wife. And when we go back to that beginning, we solve the problem. When I feel stressed and say to God, I can't cope with being a pastor, should I really be doing this? I go back to the beginning. God called me. We move back to the beginning. When I struggle with my faith, I go back to 1986 when I encountered Jesus and he called me. And so breakthrough is very often about going back to the beginning. But let me ask you a question. What is the beginning for Hope Church? Or what is the beginning for Marsh Lane Pentecostal Church? Or what is the beginning for Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church? Those are the three names we've had over 90 years. What is our beginning? Tell you what our beginning is. It's revival. This church, amongst hundreds of others in this area, did you know that in terms of Pentecostal churches, within something like a five mile radius, there are 30 to 50 churches? And they all sprung out of the revivals that came in the early 1900s. Now, a revival is simply when God baptizes a whole group of people in the Holy Spirit. That's what revival is. 
We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when Jesus takes the Holy Spirit and pours him out on you so that you are filled to overflowing, so that you are fully immersed in him and he brings influence and power into your life. That's very different to the Holy Spirit working in other areas of your life because we're talking about a complete, complete filling. Because quite often our daily walk with Jesus is like we have a small, small bit at the bottom of our glass of the Holy Spirit that we drink each day. And baptism is when God completely overflows that and keeps it flowing. Now, we need another outpouring. I don't know whether um, you will agree with me, but we need a new outpouring, a new baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, we can go back further. We can look at the church in Acts, which is the first church, and we can ask the question, well, how did they start? Well, they started with Pentecost. Well, what was that? Well, that was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We could go even further back and say, well, okay, Jesus is the one who started it all off. How did he start? He started with baptism in the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? So there's a pattern here. Jesus starts, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. The church starts, how? By being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Our church was grounded because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a large group of people, and they all went out planting churches, and we are now in a position where we say, Lord, what is the breakthrough? How do we move forward? And I want to suggest this morning that we need a baptism with the Holy Spirit. What made the difference between 11 men who had seen Jesus taken, beaten and crucified and rolled, uh, um, put in a cave with a stone rolled over it. And it says at the end of the Gospels that they were fearful, that they were hiding, they didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden you get to Acts 3 and these men are operating in power. They're healing the sick, they're raising the dead, they're speaking to rulers and the rulers go, whoa! What made the difference? The Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say something that some of you may not like. Pentecostalism has made the baptism with the Holy Spirit all about speaking in tongues, and that's a whole load of baloney. Because Jesus did not say, yeah, that when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit that you will speak in tongues, he said you will receive power. Power. And so if you want to ask yourself the question, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? The simple answer is this, is there power in your life? Jesus didn't educate his disciples in universities. He didn't pick them out of the synagogues. He empowered them with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit taught them everything they needed to know. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. He's just so amazing because he wasn't with Jesus for three and a half years. And yet Jesus appears to him and says, hey, dude, get yourself a pen and paper and I'm now going to give you the gospel. You know, we have that door open to us as we pursue God, for God speaking to us. Pentecost 
is the beginning. Pentecost is what changes the world. The disciples had followed Jesus for three and a half years. They had healed the sick. They had cast out demons. They had preached with great effect. And yet Jesus says to them this, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said it to these disciples that saw amazing things when Jesus sent them out. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud and hid from sight. So here's Jesus. He's walked with them for three and a half years. He sent them out with authority. They've done amazing miracles. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm about to go. But here's what you need to know. You do not do anything until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is what you need to wait for until the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. And then once Jesus do says, that's all you need to know. See you and he's off. A friend of mine, Bob Gordon, who passed away in the 90s, wrote an article on the Holy Spirit. And he made this statement in this article. He said, this is the heart of the matter. Have we lost out with regard to the work of the Spirit? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once challenged his congregation in Westminster Chapel on the same matter. You say you got it all at conversion, he said. If you got it all at conversion, where is it? And I find that a big challenge. Now, here's the thing. I was talking to somebody the other day. And they were kind of saying, well, Simon, if you're saying you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit or I'm not baptized with the Holy Spirit, then what gives? And I said, I want you to look at it a slightly different way. Just think for a moment, if we as a church, if we have everything that God has said he would, if we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, if we have power, etc., then in some ways we're doomed because we're not seeing it. I mean, the church is not full. We're not making a massive impact. I'm not saying that to, to kind of denigrate us in any way. But I'm saying if, if we have got everything that God has given to us and we are still not effective, then the only thing that is left is hopelessness. But if we're saying there is something more, if we're saying that Jesus said, you know what, I will pour out my Holy Spirit and you will have power. And we say, yeah, that's what's missing. We're missing power in the church. And I'm not on about power for us to rule. I'm on about power that we can heal the sick. That we can release people from the suffering of the demonic that is there. To, you know, to see miracles occur, to see changes occur, to speak a word that has authority and power. And all of a sudden I'm filled with hope. That is available if we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we've lost over the years, sadly, the church, even the Pentecostal church, we've lost the whole tarrying meeting stuff. 
Some of you will remember that. It used to be many years that churches would have specific meetings where they would just wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you this morning. No time is gone. I want to encourage you. Doesn't your heart long for something greater? Doesn't, doesn't your heart say, there's got to be more than this? There's got to be. There's got to be more power. And, and you know, there's an Old Testament scripture where the guy says, you know, I'm sick of hearing that it used to happen. I want to see it now. My paraphrase, it's not quite accurate, but. And I'm in that position. I've read about the revivals. I read and act about the early church. I see the amazing things they did. You know, when somebody became a believer in Acts, within two years they went out and they planted churches. Within two years. Some people struggle after 40 years. What's that about? We need power. And my heart hungers for more of God. I think that Jesus Christ is the only hope for our nation. I honestly believe he's because Jesus is the only one who can change the condition of the human heart. And without that, as we've seen out there, it just goes from bad to worse. People being murdered by going through the park. Policemen abusing the position that they've been given. You know, respected leaders being murdered when they're trying to help people. I mean, come on, I mean, it's all evil. And yet Jesus can change the condition of the human heart. But we need power to speak into that situation. And so really, what I'm trying to do this morning is make you hungry. Make you hungry for God. Make you hungry for a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Make you a person who says, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this a major source of my prayer time. I'm going to sit and seek God. Because, he, because God promises, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And didn't Jesus say that the Father will give good gifts to those who ask him? And so I want to encourage you this morning, seek the baptism with the Holy Spirit. When we are drenched in the Spirit, when the Spirit is poured out, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will see a major shift in how the church operates. See that in Acts, and we will see that here. And I want to encourage you. And the amazing thing is, it's not age-specific. I'm praying it for our Young kids next door, to see them baptised with the Spirit. But I'm praying for all of us as well. That we are endued with power from on high. And unless we pursue that, unless we have the hunger for that, then the same old, same old will continue because we've got no power. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, we do come in humility. We recognise that left to our own devices, we are not good people. That everything that is good comes from you. And Father, we ask this morning that you would baptise us with the Holy Spirit. We ask that your Spirit would fall upon us in an overflowing measure. 
We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And Father, I pray for each one of us this morning that you would give us a hunger that would cause us to seek you and to pursue you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, you see the desperate state of the Western Church. And we ask that you would give us power to be witnesses to those around us whom we love. And so, Father, we thank you. We ask that you would bless us today, that you would make your face shine upon us, that you would give us peace and strength. And Father, that you would help us this week to be full of grace and to be those that bless other people. In Jesus' name. Amen.